Welcome to the Five Run Eight Podcast. I'm your host, Michael DiNicola. This is the podcast that talks to amateur runners from the 518 area code who juggle family and work while training for distance races on the weekend. This is the third episode of Five Run Eight's Legends of the Fall series, and it's with Joe Sullivan. Joe is a master's runner on the Willow Street Athletic Club who ran 244.58 at the Boston Marathon earlier this year. And he recently finished the Kona Ironman Championships before running in the Stockadathon. Find out what it's like to be an Ironman during my conversation with Joe Sullivan. Joe, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Awesome. Yes, it's so so great to have you. So this past weekend, what happened with Stockadathon? You uh you ran great. You had a PR. You made the podium for Masters. Tell, tell us all about it. Yeah, it was uh, a very, very pleasant surprise. Uh, leading into the Stockadathon, I had some previous races um, a little bit before that that I was training for. So the Stockadathon was a nice like celebratory race in my mind. And so going into it, there weren't really any expectations. And it was, you know, ended up being quite the day for me. Um, I had uh maybe like two runs per week coming in um going into it and some of the runs were pretty quality i had some speed sessions in there and during those speed sessions you kind of see some you feel some uh some pingings of some speed in there but i didn't really have anything that led me to believe i'd have a good a good day uh the day that i had um so yeah getting to the race I uh, felt relaxed because of that and just let the, the legs do what they do. And before I knew it, I was a couple of miles in and the legs still felt good. And I saw some in front of me that I could use um, to maybe chase after and stay focused and came through Central Park with the legs still feeling pretty good. Um, and then I think if you've run the race before, you know that getting through central park it's pretty much all downhill after that so just rolled to the finish line and what ended up being a really good pr for me by just under a minute well that's great and at at some point in the race uh, did you have any indication of that you might be getting close to the master's podium or was it a complete surprise after you finished and looked that's that's a funny question uh so i don't i'm not really experienced with knowing everybody who's in the master's category so during the race i'm looking at people that are in front of me and you you pretty much just have to think they look around my age but you only have really the their backs to look at or their the back of their head um you know there's no number on their calf there's no age on their calf uh or arm to let you know so you just make a a judgment on it so during the race i saw two people in front of me and i made a deal with myself that uh, these two people are going to be the two people I have to pass in order to make the podium, just to give myself a goal. And it ended up actually being true. I had two masters people in front of me that I worked really hard for, through the last six miles or so of the race to catch. And it ended up meaning third place. That's awesome. And you got a trophy and everything after that. I did. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's good. 
Um, and this this race comes soon after yeah. you, you did an, you did an Ironman. Like wow, you did a full Ironman before running Stockadathon. Of course, there's been some time, but you, you ran in the uh, Kona Ironman Championships, which I believe is down in Hawaii. Um, tell us about that that experience and how long ago was that in terms of when the Stockadathon was? Yeah, so Kona was early October. Uh, we're looking at October eighth, I believe it was on uh, my race day, and so we go from October eighth to um, last Sunday for the Stockadathon. Um, which you know, when you run a when you compete in an Ironman, I think the the big concern coming off of an Ironman is how much recovery time you're going to need, and I think the I've learned that the better that you prepare for an Ironman, the easier it is going to be recovery-wise afterwards. And I feel like I was really prepared for Kona. And coming off of it, I really didn't feel those those aches and pains uh, for too long afterwards. So I was, I was able to get back into the groove of things soon enough. And I recovery-wise, I felt like I was pretty recovered uh, pretty quickly. So that helped with getting back into things and allowing my legs to be around for a race like, like Stockade-a-thon. How Overall, how did, uh, how did Kona go for you? Amazing, Mike. So uh, it, this has been a dream of mine as long back as I can remember when I started triathloning. It was one of those races where you really just don't imagine you're ever going to get to a race like that, the pipe dream. Uh, so to have it come to fruition was incredible, and I was just really happy to be there. Um, as far as competing for a podium or you know a certain spot, I wasn't looking at Kona as that kind of race. So that also allowed me to relax and and take everything in and have a good race, and I did better than I thought I was going to on race day. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to spend two weeks total there. So I had a week before the race and then a week after. Uh, amazing experience. And during the race, how did you do with the transitions? You know, you swim first and then you bike after that and then you run. And, you know, I, I can't even wrap my head around this. You After doing all that swimming and biking, then you run a marathon. <laughs> how are you standing at the end? I mean, it just blows my mind how much, um, you know, how much endurance it takes to actually finish one of these things, regardless of how fast you go. But, um, yeah, please tell us more. Sure. So it's easy to stand after you finish Kona because of the immense beauty that surrounds you. Um, it, it's such a beautiful place. It takes the, the pain that you're feeling right after the finish away. Um, but as far as the race was concerned, you have beautiful, beautiful 81-degree water to swim in, which if you're a, a non-swimmer like me, is everything that I needed on race day. I needed something to distract me, something to, to look at. And you have plenty to look at uh, in that swim. Uh, the bike, you, you're in the middle of lava fields and a scenery that it's almost like another. you're on another planet. I've never biked in anything like that. So you have 112 miles of stuff to look at and smile at. Uh, and then the run, of course, is legendary. The, everything that you see on TV every single year, just to be a part of it, uh, was amazing. So 
although it took me 10 hours and 45 minutes, it was 10 hours and 45 minutes of just smiling and enjoying myself all day long. Wow. And, you know, the training leading up to Kona, um, I know I, I see on Strava, you do, you do a lot of cycling, indoor cycling. Um, and I, I can't say I followed uh, all your activities. So what would you say you do the most when leading up to a triathlon? Is it the swim, bike, and, or running or, or something else entirely? Can you describe that just a little bit? Sure. So training, I think you're, most people who do Ironman will, will answer this the same way. You're going to spend way more time on the bike uh, just because it's the discipline that you're going to spend the most time race day doing. And so you're probably going to be, want to be really prepared for that, um, that aspect of it. So I spend a lot of time on my bike, uh, both outside and inside. I try to stay outside as much as possible just because inside can become pretty tedious on, on the trainer. So, uh, a lot of biking and then, uh, I tend to be also someone who can find an excuse not to go to the pool and swim just because I hate it so much. So I don't know if I actually end up purposely like subconsciously doing this, but I tend to, I don't know, forget my goggles. Uh, so I'm like, Oh, I don't have my goggles. I can't swim. Um, forget a towel. Whoop. I forgot a towel. I can't go swim. So whether it's on purpose or not, I don't know, but I probably spend the least amount of time swimming. Um, and then I'm a runner. So I just love running. Um, I'll, I'll find an excuse to run any day. With the percentages of training, how much could you, could you put to that? Like how, what, you know, what percentage of your training was swimming, bike and running? Uh, probably maybe 60%. Or so biking, 30% running, 10% swimming. Okay. Yeah. Well, zero, zero percent stretching. Zero percent stretching? Really? I'm a horrible stretcher, Mike. Oh. Oh, I see. Well, we, we will get to that part in just a moment. Um, you know, with, a, with the exercises, rehab, strength, and things like that. But this... You know, this uh, training for Kona and completing it, becoming an Ironman, comes also off of the heels of a very successful Boston Marathon race. Um, in the Masters category for the Boston Marathon this year, you did very, very well. And I think your your time was down in the low 240s. What's the, what exactly was your time for Boston this year? Yeah, I squeaked in under 245. So 244.58, I believe the official time was. Okay. And how, um, yeah. How many times have you run Boston so far? Uh, uh I believe it's eight, eight times. Okay. And I noticed you also ran well in the Syracuse, uh, for the masters half marathon. I was there as well competing, um, during your lead up. Um, so, can you tell tell us a bit about your experience at the Boston Marathon earlier this year and how the tune-up in Syracuse helped you? You also ran a fast time in Syracuse as well. Yeah, so I'll, I'll hit Syracuse first. So um, we, I'm a part of Willow Street, and we have a, a master's team, and that Syracuse half was being used as the master's half marathon championship. And... So there was a mention early early on about um, online 
on our Facebook page about uh, trying to get a, a Syracuse half team formulated. And it really didn't take off <clears throat> very well. And then a friend of mine told me that he was running the Syracuse half. And would I be interested in going? So I went back to that Facebook post to see if we could maybe reignite some conversation uh, and get a team going. And we ended up with some people signing up enough to make a team. Uh, so going into that, the week before the Syracuse half, I had a really bad cold. So I did absolutely nothing. I did no training the last week. And then went out to Syracuse with a friend of mine the night before, still sniffing and, and blowing my nose, not feeling really well. And so again, another race where I'm thinking, no expectations. Uh, I'm still feeling kind of sick. Uh, I don't know what my legs are going to be capable of. Just go have fun. And ended up popping a 116, which was my PR by, uh, I'd say, almost three minutes. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, and, and I think I knew your PR was about uh, like 79 minutes or so. Um, and then when you ran the Syracuse race, that yeah, I remember seeing the times afterwards with um, just looking at the Masters results and thinking that that was indeed a PR for you. Um, how do you think that race helped you prepare for Boston? Oh, so it was a big confidence booster. So that was in April or uh, in March leading up to Boston. And then I think I had all the confidence in the world from that. I was worried about that one week of sickness, taking away training. You know, this is what athletes say in their heads is they're, you, know, you, you miss a day of running and you think that you, you, you lose all of your fitness. So um, to lose a week, I was really worried. But um, after that race, I felt really good. Like that was the best I felt in a lead up race going into Boston. And what kind of, what was your training like leading up to Boston? I see, you know, you're, you know, you're a cyclist doing a lot of cycling on, on Strava there. Um, tell us about the different things you did to prepare for, to run a 244 at Boston. Yeah, that's, so that's another thing too, that I think I, we need to give credit for um, with, with the training is, is cycling and swimming. Although, you know, you have a run focus leading into Boston and maybe the biking comes down a little bit and the swimming comes down it's always part of the training. And I think as I get older, I'm realizing that I really probably can't or shouldn't run six days a week um, or with intensity um, just because the recovery time is so important, I think, as, as I get older. So, um, yeah, the bike played a big, important part. It's no impact. You got some great workouts on the bike. Um, so I kept that up going into Boston as well. And stayed away from the thick bug, uh, which was very important too. to come down sometimes for big races. So uh, everything leading to Boston was looking really good for a good time. Okay. And uh, what was your, what wave were you, I mean, well, what wave and I want to say section were you in, actually, or corral? Yeah, that's what they call them. What wave and corral were you in? <laughs> Yeah, I was in the the first wave, but I was probably the furthest back I've been in a while because I can't, I'm come I was coming into this Boston with a 301 um, qualifying time, which was in the previous Boston was in October, um, 
really strange October Boston Marathon. Um, so I was a little further back and I was concerned about maybe running the time that I wanted to run just because you have, you know, the further back you are, the more people you have around you uh, running different paces. So you try to avoid that like sprint around people where you, you're burning matches and you really don't know that you're burning matches. So um, that was a big concern too, but um, yeah. So a little bit further back than usual, uh, but again, it probably could be a good thing because then you tend to hold back a little bit more. And I think in a race like Boston, that's important to uh, the first 5K to hold back more than you think that you need to. That's good. And when you ran the actual race, were you uh, concerned for, for 15 miles or maybe 10 miles? What was your, your race plan did you have? So the goal for me for Boston, I think every every time I run Boston, it's pretty much the same um let people pass you let people pass you be okay with it uh because and make peace with it because later on you're going to see them again eventually so the first 5k uh in boston i don't know if listeners maybe don't know that the boston first 5k is pretty much straight downhill uh, some some parts of it very aggressively so so if you can just relax and let gravity take its course and not be super excited that you're in Boston and let your adrenaline get the better of you uh, that's going to work out for you better in the end so a nice relaxed first 5k once you hit the rollers find your race pace and then the last 10k see what you got And of course, it sounds like it works. That that whole plan worked great for you as it unfolded. That's great. Um, so I, I wanted just to mention uh, to the folks out there who may not know this, but a long time ago in a galaxy far away, I used to coach Joe when I was an assistant at St. Rose. Very long time ago. How long has it been? Twenty years since since you since I coached you? Yeah, two thousand. Geez, what was it around around the year two thousand, right? Around the year two thousand, yes, yeah, very, very long time ago. I was only, I'm only a, just a few years older than older than Joe, and um, just watching over the years, uh, I believe you've improved a lot since your time at St. Rose. Um, and have you? And I just wanted to ask, you know, for the folks out there, have you always competed since college, or did you spend some time away and then come back to the? Um, please tell us about that journey that brought you here and brought you to the race times that you're running today. Sure. Uh, so I've always been a baseball kid. Um, I'm, I, I love baseball. I played baseball growing up. So in my heart of hearts, I wanted to play college baseball um, and then see what I could do after college baseball, like run that to its limit so that when I'm older, I can say, you know, I, I did what I could do. So um, I ended up actually going to St. Rose for baseball. And while I was playing baseball, I was approached by my baseball coach saying that the cross country coach needs or is looking for uh, any athlete on another team that has like running experience to make a full team because the cross country team didn't have a full team. 
So that's how I got into cross country. It was a no brainer for me. I, I love running. So I, absolutely. I would help. And I think slowly through my, my St. Rose baseball and cross country career, I kind of started falling back in love with running. So baseball. Oh, I see. So it was, uh, yeah, the guy that I was working under, um, yeah, must have approached that coach and said that, you know, there, there's been a call for athletes. I do remember that. And we did have several uh, baseball players uh, crossover in memory serves. I do remember a few people. Have any uh, opportunities for sponsorship presented themselves while you've been improving as a master's runner? Um, not so. I think with sponsorship, it's more, I've, I've found anyway that it's more of like the athlete being actively searching because sponsors, the opportunities obviously haven't been falling into my lap. And I don't think I have quite have the performances that would make that happen. Um, so n- not really. I, I have applied to some like elite triathlon, triathlon teams and have been rejected. So I'm really used to being rejected from those types of sponsored teams. Um, and I think my lack of social media presence might play a part in that. I think sponsors like their, their products to be pushed and advertised. And I really don't hold a really uh, a fantastic social media presence. So I think if I really wanted to maybe put a little more effort into it, I might have a chance at something like that. Just don't know if I really want to. I see. Yeah. Well, it's good that you're on the lookout for that and anything can really, you know, pop up on Instagram or, or even Facebook. So I, yeah. I even, I even look out for things that I might be interested in, but um, yeah, definitely keep, definitely keep trying. Cause I think your times are good for a master's and, um, and uh, you never know what could, uh, what could be coming around the corner if a company is looking for people uh, just to sponsor. Um, like let's say for example, Michelob Ultra, somebody might be looking for some, some more people there they might put another call out this year but maybe i'll uh, keep my eye on that yeah that's uh, this is just an idea there um so when things shut down in 2020 i mean that that was a tough part for tough year for all of us um what were you originally working toward that year and how did you pivot with your training to maintain and improve your fitness and keep things going like you have yeah such a time period so I was leading up to a Boston run and had some really good fitness coming into Boston and um, was crossing my fingers that they would have that race. And obviously that it didn't happen during that year. So um, I was scrambling really for anything to release the fitness and see, you know, if it's my own doing on my own personal courses, that's fine but just scrambling to see if there, there was anything out there. And so there was a, a virtual race series that I found that you could create a team with. So I got some Willow peeps on board and we all had different goals. Some of us just wanted to do it to enjoy. Some of us wanted to uh, see what we could do with the fitness that we had. So I was able to race a one mile, 5k, 10k half marathon series. And it was like, every two weeks or so they would have those races and I did pretty well in them. 
obviously they they don't really count because they're not certified, but I was happy with the way that it worked out. And I also spent time in the mountains in King Valley, chipping away at the 46er challenge where you uh, climb the 46 highest peaks in the Adirondacks um, and just, you know, obviously be happy with um, achievement on your own. But I decided to run them because I had a handful that I had already accomplished at that point. And since I was teaching and I was virtually teaching, I had an opportunity to spend a little more time in the area in King Valley and, and accomplish that. Uh, so that kept me really busy. Okay. Any injuries along the way? Um, anything you can tell us that you came back from? This is going to be really boring. No. I see. I, the only thing, the only injuries I really ever get are just like overuse IT bands, uh, tightness or um, like a plantar fascia tightness. I've been really lucky. Well, wow, that's good. That, that's great. What do you do for uh, plantar fasciitis? So I have a lacrosse ball that I use. And uh, really, so because my IT bands and my plantar fascia are the only things that ever bother me, this goes back to the stretching comment earlier. Um, I, the only thing that I do are stretches for those two things. And I've... Um, don't ever listen to me when I it, like if I ever tell you that you don't need to stretch that's not true um, I've just been really lucky with avoiding uh, injuries and I've been really lucky with the not having the need to stretch um, so for the plantar fascia I just take a lacrosse ball and I'll put myself on the couch and I'll put the TV on and then I'll just roll my foot across that uh, lacrosse ball and for it bands i just use a foam roller and i roll that out if you ever see me stretching you know something's wrong with me <laughs> i see but since you do so well and you don't stretch you know now now i know that stretching's all a hoax it's gotta be <laughs> it's, and I, it, I, it hasn't worked for me so i'm that's what I'm doing wrong. All right. Thanks, Joe. All right. Pe so pe people are going to hate you, Mike. Do not do not say that out in public. They're going to hate you for saying that. But anyway, that that's great. Yeah, that that's uh, that's that's uh, good body mechanics, you know, and I hope that things uh, things continue in that way for you. And it sounds like you're you're doing the right things to maintain yourself. Um, a lot of the non impact stuff like swimming and biking probably has helped over the years maintain yourself so all that's really good stuff so you're probably doing things that that you need to do um, to keep yourself healthy so that's good exactly so let let's talk a little bit about uh training and racing shoes what kinds do you wear also um i i've been asking some folks how they feel about carbon plated shoes um some people have opinions about them but please share uh what you wear and uh what you know about the subject sure so I train in Saucony. My I, my go-to are the Saucony Canvara series. Um, the majority of my like long longer efforts are in those. I love the carbon-plated shoes. Big big fan. Um, I was one of those like grizzled old veteran runners that when they first came out thought that's a big cheat shoe. Uh, don't use them if you use them, you're a cheater. Your, your times don't 
aren't valid if you wear them. Um, I've, I've since grown to like them and appreciate them, not just for racing, but also for training. Um, I do like to use the Endorphin Pro for training, and that's a, a Saucony shoe as well. Um, I find that they're not as, um, I don't think they're as fast as the Nike Vaporflies, um, which is what I use for races. But I do find that the carbon plated shoes are great for maybe like a longer run and saving your legs. I think you recover a lot better from using those shoes, um, which I, I also think makes a huge difference when it comes to the amount of training that you can do as you get older. Uh, John Lindenauer was uh, saying this thing. It's the same thing on a previous episode of the podcast. And uh, I also like the endorphin pro um, for training, uh, racing and recovery. Um, so that's, uh, I, I, I think that's true as far as uh, carbon plated shoes, they really do help you and um, help you stay healthy. So let's talk about, uh, let's see what's next for you for fall. I mean, fall's pretty much over, but are you doing a Turkey trot? And what about, what about next year? What are your plans for next year? Yeah. So I look forward to, uh, running the Troy Turkey trot 10 K and I'm hoping that I see a bunch of my, uh, fellow Willow street athletes running that as well. It's always a good race to just see everybody. I think most people come out for that. Um, that's probably my favorite aspect of the Troy Turkey trot. Good to see everybody. Uh, so that'll be it for the fall. And then next year, uh, I'd like to run a, a very fast 5k. It's been a while since I've attacked one of those. So, uh, I think I'm going to try for one in April, maybe the BAA half or a BAA 5k and maybe see like a 16 something would be a great goal. I think I could maybe accomplish that if I could roll into it, uh, with some fitness. Uh, Ironman Mont-Tremblant, which is in June, uh, 70.3. It's a half iron distance. And then the big finish next year for me is the Can Lake 50 miler. So uh, that's running around, leaving from Canandaigua and running around the lake, a full loop around it. It's 50 miles. And that's in October. Oh, the one in Canandaigua sounds great. That's got to be a good scene out there. It's beautiful so nice now you are a teacher and you have you have uh you know teaching schedules rigorous it's it's early mornings and you're on your feet all day so what does a typical training session look like for you in a typical training week look like for you when you're preparing for these races uh yeah so i think i i try to avoid training before school that just makes for a really long day I think if I were to train before school, it would just be a day that I could, I had something else going on after school and I just couldn't get it in. So looking at finishing work at around three o'clock and if it's a swim heading to the gym and hopping in the pool and doing a swim and then getting out of the pool and either going for a run afterwards or, uh, hopping on my bike and maybe taking a couple loops around SUNY, uh, state campus. Sometimes I go to the Del Mar park and ride and I'll ride there. But my favorite spot for, for a bike just due to the safety nature of it is the Saratoga battlefields. They have a nice 10 mile, a little over 10 mile loop 
which is closed to traffic uh, at times, or if it, if there is traffic on it, it's minimal and slow because people are just driving around it, um, looking at the history of the place. So uh, that's probably a typical day uh, training wise. If it's just running, then I'll, I'll finish my work day and I'll just go for a run afterwards. And what would be your, uh, your favorite workout out of all that? Oh boy. I really love trails. I really love hills. So any day that I can hit uh, like a single track trail, Rudy, Rocky, uh, the, the rootier or rockier, the better. Or if I can't get on a trail, just bring me to a, a nice steep hill, nice steep climb, and I'll be happy. Awesome. That sounds great. What about your, uh, may I ask you about your race nutrition plan, let's say for a marathon, or even how did, would you like to share how you did things in Kona? Sure. Um, during the race, um, I can actually take you through during the race and outside of the race, because I think the most important part is the nutrition, not on course outside of the race. And I'm, and I'm really lucky with what I have. So, uh, during race, I'm looking at like gel type nutrition. So I, I take what's called, uh, SIS science and sport gels. Uh, electrolyte gels and I'm a heavy sweater. So I gobble down lots of salt tabs. Some might look at it as not very healthy, but it's what I need to make it through uh, like a 10 hour effort like that. Uh, I drink Gatorade just because it's on course and it's easy and my stomach can take it. Um, and generally that's what I look at during a race. So it's pretty easy for me. I just need those gels and salt tabs um, on my own. And then I can take everything else that's on, on course, uh, outside. I have a, a lovely wife that loves to cook. And unfortunately for her, she has a very restricted diet, but fortunately for me, it ends up being things that, uh, tend to be on the healthier side and are really good for energy purposes. So, um, I, I'm very spoiled at home with with my wife and what she cooks oh that's good very good wow so it works out for everybody but tell us a little more about your cheer squad at home who cheers for you at home my lovely lovely wife kelly is fantastic she also partakes in iron man events too so it's nice to have somebody that i can do these things with um at the same time we, we kind of make the joke we don't do it together we just do the things at the same time um which work out well for us. Uh, but yeah, it's just the two of us at home, but I have a, a very supportive uh, friend group as well with triathlon. It's a, tends to be a pretty small community, but we're pretty tight. Uh, so we get lots of support from friends and from fellow athletes. Do you, do you currently have a run coach for a triathlon or running in general? I don't, I had one, uh, maybe about 10 years ago or so we're getting to now, maybe a little bit less than that, but I had a coach initially who was really great and I learned a lot from, and I found that after going with that coach for several years, I kind of picked up the routine of the training and was able to work on, uh, what works for me that he was giving me. 
So I learned a lot from him and I would give anybody advice. Uh, it would be get a coach because you can learn a lot. What is the triathlon group that you, that you go with now? Is it a, is that an official group or is it just a, uh, some friends that, you know, together? it's more, more so than just, it's more just friends at this point. I started out on a team called team loco, uh, who since have, uh, disbanded. There's no more team loco. Um, but I do hang out with a lot of athletes from, from varying groups. Uh, but I tend to just do kind of things on my own. Okay. And do you yourself coach any runners? Are you interested in getting into that? I don't coach any runners. However, I'm very interested in it. Um, I think, I feel like I have some advice that I can give to people um, who maybe are looking for it. And I, and I tend to give that advice uh, pretty regularly when I can help someone who's looking for like nutrition or looking for uh, some bike work workouts or run workouts. Uh, I really don't mind giving that advice. Uh, I've been doing it for a long time. So I think the knowledge that one builds up from all these years of, of doing it, I think it's important to give it back. So I'm definitely looking into coaching and becoming certified. Awesome. Yes. I highly recommend the, uh, the USATF courses. I learned a lot from those. So they are good. It's good stuff to good stuff to get into. Um, and what is your favorite guilty pleasure food? Chocolate chunk cookies. Oh, awesome. All right. We can be friends now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's awesome. Yes. So we've come to the part where we'll, we'll do the top 10. Okay. Are you, I feel like I know the answer to this, but are you normally a morning or a night runner? I'm probably more of a night runner. Okay. Of course, that would fit your, your teaching schedule better. And do you prefer the trails or the roads? Uh, definitely the trails. I love the trails. I, I'm i not super religious, but if I had a religion, it would be mountains. That's where my church is. Wow, awesome. Yes. Uh, how about at the end of a race, uh, do you prefer medal or trophy? Probably a trophy. Okay. How about uh, for workouts? Do you prefer track repeats or hill repeats? Put me on a hill, Mike. Put me at the base of a hill, actually. And I I just, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I actually also love to ride my bike up hills, too. I'm just, there's something about cranking away on a bike up a hill or just grinding out a hill repeat uh, just does it for me. I don't know why. Gotcha. I always thought riding a bike up a hill was a different kind of pain than running up the hill. I, as myself, I would prefer to run up a hill, but biking up a hill is definitely uh, very challenging and uh, would get you in really great shape. So it's great. So good. We'll get you on a hill. How about, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to get back out running and get back on hills. That's for sure. Because <laughs> hills are, are good for you. will make you stronger and faster. And how about, here's a magic question. If I had to have you choose between one of the, between the two coffee or beer. Okay. So this is an appropriate question to ask. Cause my wife just walked in and we both are coffee and beer snobs. So 
we love our coffee, we love our beer. And to have to ask me to pick between those two, Mike, I'm I'm upset. <laughs> I'm really angry. Oh I, no. I feel like I'm gonna go with beer. Aha, I see. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure how I'd answer that question either because I've got to have my coffee and there's times when I have to have my beer. So um, perhaps I'll, I'll tweet that, that one for the next podcast because okay. maybe some so unfair. not very happy with me for asking that. How dare you say it? I'm just <laughs> that. Um, yeah, so I, I've seen you uh, at, you know, of course, for the Vermont City race and out, out of the breweries after. So I can tell that you like you like good craft beer. Um, and there's some really good stuff out there. So, um, that's for sure. And that's a good event too. So out running, uh, headphones or no headphones? No headphones. Don't distract me. I need to hear my breathing. I need to hear my footsteps. I need to hear traffic around me. No headphones. Okay. And when, um, maybe doing rehab or just, just general strength training. Do you prefer to work your hammies or your glutes? Uh, probably glutes. Yep. A lot of, a lot of people have said that. And it's that time in the race where you got to keep going. Something's up, but you got to keep going. Do you puke it up or suck it up? You definitely puke it up. So I had a one race. I'll keep this short. Cause I know it's the, the uh, quick questions here, but uh, I had one race in high school where I thought the finish line was a lot closer than it actually was. And so I started my kick and the finish line was not coming and it wasn't coming and I was still kicking and I ended up throwing up uh, because of that effort. And I feel like if I were to try to hold that in, uh, it would only make matters worse. So that's, that's sound advice. Good advice. Experience. There. Yep. And when it's cold out, do you prefer the dreadmill or frostbite? Frostbite. Ah. And of course, uh, the final, the final this or that question, do you prefer the start or the finish of a race? Uh, I prefer the finish of a race. I don't like the anxious feeling before a race. Gotcha. Well said. And how about any advice for a new runner or somebody that's thinking about triathlon or Ironman? Yeah, sure. So I think the one thing that I, I that tends to pop up when chatting with people who are just starting out is the how much it absolutely sucks to begin doing it. It's so different from what they've been doing or what a, a person who hasn't been doing it has been doing. So I think... If I had one thing to say, it would be like we will be a lot better to get there. Well said. Joe, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks for being here today. I really appreciate this and talking to you. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been a blast. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the 5 Run 8 Podcast and my conversation with Joe Sullivan. Tune in next time, we'll be interviewing another runner from the 518 area code. Once again, special thanks to Mikey Finn, who donated music to this podcast.